are listening to the latest edition of the Sports Pen. Tanner Hoops here and delighted you along as we start a new week together, a new month together, in fact. Happy June. I think uh, we're getting to the point where it's almost officially summer here in the UP. It didn't feel like that a couple of days ago when it was, what, 45 outside on Saturday? Uh, it's starting to get a little bit better now. I tell you what, there's a lot I want to get into today. This is where, unfortunately, I feel like I need to start. And I say that because I've been feeling down this this past week and I'm sure a lot of you have too with everything that's going on in this world and in this country you're just seeing cities burn a young man was brutally murdered George Floyd was murdered last week in Minneapolis and it just gets to you it, it does it, you know that on top of COVID-19 everything that's going on here in 2020 what's ravaging our world right now it really does get to you and I tell you what I do have some thoughts on what happened with George Floyd and what's happening in this country, I don't know that I have the words right now to express myself correctly, and because of that, we're going to shelve that conversation. I, I do believe that it's important to talk about, that every one of us should use our platform for good, for what we believe in, and I'd like to do that, but I respect you as a listenership, as my audience enough to not do that until I correctly know how to put my emotions into words. So let's shelve that conversation for now. I, I as, as much as I believe in saying things that are important, talking about relevant things, no matter how hard they are, I do also believe in healthy and positive escapes. And that's what sports radio has been for a lot of people. You know, when COVID-19 first started, there were businesses that were thinking, you know, does it make sense to have a sports writer, uh, anybody in sports media, on staff without any sports, or should we just furlough them? And you know what? I, I couldn't disagree with that line of thinking anymore. Because honestly, in a time like this, sports radio is as important as it ever has been. So for, for the next hour or so, we're going to have a sports-centric show. I'm not going to say it's going to be, you know, blue skies and rainbows, because there are problems as they relate to sports, and we're going to address those but we're going to have a sports-centric show and hopefully get a little escape from what's ravaging this world. I know that I certainly need it, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who do as well. One of the problems, you know, I, I said that there are going to be some problems we need to discuss. One, we're going to talk with somebody who's right in the midst of it here in about 10 minutes. In two weeks from now, there will be only two baseball leagues operating in the entire world. The Korean Baseball Organization, which we stayed up till, what, 2 a.m. watching some games just because we need some kind of live sports fix. The other league will be the Iowa High School Baseball League. Iowa is what I'm hoping will be a roadmap back to normalcy for us as a sports community. Now, in Korea, they handled the pandemic really, really well. They have got through it, uh, they're on the downslide with it, and they did so with very few fatalities as compared to re uh, the rest of the world. And now they're back to starting to resume normal life. They can get baseball going again. That's not the case in Iowa. It's not the case in this country. Iowa's one of the states where their numbers are continuing to go up. They're not declining like many other cities. They are going to try and embark on a very ambitious plan to play baseball. And I know that this is going to be, you know, I always love a chance to talk about my home state, but it's relevant 
especially to our listeners up here in Michigan, because less than three weeks from now, there will be another league in operation. And that's right here in the UP with the UP Legion Baseball League. They're going to have a round-robin tournament here in less than three weeks. Maybe, you know, and this is going to be a fun interview. And if you're out there, you're affiliated with the Legion, what have you, it wouldn't hurt to listen to what this high school baseball coach in Iowa has to say, what the guidelines are that have been put down to him, how he's going to navigate any potential problems and navigate this crisis, all while being responsible for young men. It's going to be a really informative interview, and that's coming up in about 10 minutes. Plus, you know, this should have been my lead because under normal circumstances it would be, we are going to talk sports with Lieutenant General Jack Bergman. He is the congressional representative for Michigan's 1st District, which includes the entire Upper Peninsula, as I'm sure many of you know. He's got a really interesting sports background, which I think many of our listeners don't know. I certainly didn't know before I got to know him personally, and he's been kind enough to come on and talk a little about his sporting experience, his background. It's not going to be political. Don't worry about that. It's going to be sports-centric, and that's coming up around the bottom of the hour. Plus, I'm going to give you my predictions for the Major League Baseball divisions, how the divisions are going to play out, what uh, the division races will look like, who's going to be winning, who could potentially be in a wild card spot, that is, if we have a season. All that and more coming up of the course of today's show, and I cannot stress enough, if we have a season, because that's where I want to start. You see, baseball is one of the things that is frustrating me right now. It's disappointing to me. It's disappointing to me in an owner's sense and in a player's sense. There's blame on both sides. I'll tell you why. On the ownership side of things, you've got teams that are ready to call it in. They are ready to just not have a 2020 Major League Baseball season. There was supposed to be an agreement between players and owners reached today. It was not. Hopefully within the next week or two, it can get done and we can realistically get to playing baseball around July 4th. On the part of the owners, I'm frustrated because you've got the Minnesota Twins, my favorite team, the Milwaukee Brewers, Latiol's favorite team. Those are two of the smallest markets in baseball, and yet they are not furloughing or laying off any of their staff at any level, major league or minor league. Whether you're a coach or you're a janitor, you're still being taken care of without a pay cut. Those two organizations are doing that. What's more, they did not ax any of their minor leaguers, like several other teams, released their minor league players last week so they didn't have to pay them. The Twins and the Brewers and other teams, including Kansas City Royals, are not doing that. They are proving that they're putting their pocketbooks behind their players instead of the other way around. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really happy to see that. Conversely, though, you've got teams like the Los Angeles Angels, the Oakland Athletics, for example, that are clearly putting their pocketbooks ahead of their players. They laid off several of their minor league players, even though the Twins, Brewers, Royals, teams like that, have promised to pay players their weekly $400 stipend until the end of what was originally scheduled, the minor league season, which is in August. The A's and the Angels, among other teams, have decided not to do so. And in fact, those two teams I single out because they're not only laying off their minor league players, they're laying off several in their organization, including almost all of their scouts at any level and three-fourths of their player development squad. I get it. It's their money. They can do what they want with it. I I don't have a say in how they want to spend their money. But you're telling me that two of the smallest markets in baseball, Minnesota and Milwaukee, 
can take care of everyone, major leaguer, minor leaguer, coach, custodian, star outfielder, no matter who it is, you're being taken care of and being paid by your organization. And in some sense, for the minor leaguers, you're getting paid not to play, not to coach. But the big markets, Oakland, Los Angeles, they can't. They've got to cut, furlough, axe so many of their guys. Their top execs can't take pay cuts like Minnesota or Milwaukee or Kansas City did in order to save their employees. What's more, the Oakland A's took it a step further, and they are no longer going to be broadcast on domestic radio. They even fired their radio guys. The Oakland Athletics did. If you're like me, I love listening to baseball on the radio. I prefer baseball on the radio to TV. And now listeners in Oakland can no longer hop in their car and hear the A's game. I'm disappointed because, you know, and I get it, I don't have a right to tell them how to spend their money, but it's a bad look, and I'm disappointed. When small markets are able to take care of everybody, and they're showing it's team before me, it truly is, and the Los Angeles-Oakland markets can't, that says something. That speaks volumes. On the player side of things, I'm frustrated because, you know, I've said this on the show before. I've been very open, very vocal about this. There's a commercial where... Uh, we have here on ESPN-UP, I'm sure you've heard it, where I'm critical of Blake Snell from a segment a few weeks ago where Blake Snell said he did not want to play if it only meant he'd get half of the salary that he was signed for, $5 million instead of $10 million. And, you know, here's, you know, I've told you what I think about that, that it's a bad look. Maybe you're entitled to that money. Maybe I, And I support players who under normal circumstances fight for what they believe they're worth, but it's a bad look. When we've got how many people on unemployment right now? Is it like 30%? Is that what unemployment's at? Something like that. And you won't take the field for $5 million? Only for 10. Now, in all fairness to the players, they already did agree to prorated salaries, and the owners asked them to give more. In fact, the latest proposal is almost like a politically liberal tax, tax plan, where those who earn more money are going to be asked to give up more money, and those who earn less are going to be asked to give up less. Now, I get it. If they agreed pen and paper to a certain amount of money, and it's in a legally binding contract, I get it. It's not a good look, but yeah, I get it. Maybe you're legally entitled to that, but it's still not a good look. You go a little bit further with it. Some players are saying they don't want to risk catching COVID-19. What if they were to get infected? What if somebody in the locker room was and it spreads throughout the clubhouse? Okay, I'll play along because that's a legitimate concern. But there are two things that the Players Association has gone about this that tell me that's not the reason why they have not agreed to prorated salaries. One being the fact that Blake Snell himself said it would be worth the risk to play for $10 million, not for five. Okay, uh, there's a debate to be had there about where is the line, you know, because I might do something that's risky for a little extra money for $10,000 or $10 million. Yeah, maybe I'll do something a little risky. So I get it. There's a debate to be had there. But then the players decided to say that, look, if we're going to take prorated salaries, then we want more opportunities to earn a paycheck. We want to play 100 games instead of the proposed 80-something games. If you're really scared of catching COVID-19, why are you risking putting yourself out there 20 extra days? It, 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 that, that, to me, is what tells me this is not about COVID-19. This is about players wanting more money. 
Is that right or wrong? It's in the eyes of the beholder. But it's not a good look with everything that's going on right now. And you know who this really hurts? This really hurts baseball, the game. Because baseball has slowly been fading away as our national pastime for decades. It's been surpassed by football, basketball. Soccer, I don't think, is close to overtaking it yet, but it's getting there. Soccer's steadily rising. I don't think hockey is overtaking baseball, but is that your bar? Baseball has such a unique opportunity right now. They have a platform where, again, in two weeks from now, there will only be one baseball league in the entire country playing games, the Iowa High School League. You know, you get those fans. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have somebody who they know that says, I don't watch regular season baseball. Tune in for the playoffs. I guarantee you those people would kill to have live sports on right now. They would watch baseball. I mean, I hate golf. I I hate watching golf. And I was one of the 6.3 million people who tuned in last Sunday to watch the match because there is that craving for pro sports, for live sports. And baseball has a platform it hasn't had in decades, maybe even multiple generations, to be relevant again, to be something that catches all eyes in America. They've got that chance in front of them. But it's all about money. It's all about greed on both sides of it, on the player's side, on the owner's side. And the real suffering from all this is the game of baseball. That's where the real suffering is coming from because baseball has a platform where they can be the only pro league going on in this country and they're blowing it that's one of the things that frustrates me right now as we get together here monday afternoon let's take our first time out when we come back i'll have a guest join me here in our phone line what can we learn from the upcoming high school league in iowa and how can we implement it elsewhere next on espn up MBank offers sophisticated banking solutions to support your business. When you bank with MBank, we support you every step of the way, combining big bank resources with personal service and quick local decision making that moves at the speed your business moves. MBank has helped a wide range of small to mid-sized businesses achieve success. Our experienced team makes it easy and convenient to help you grow. Let MBank design a personalized plan for your business's unique needs. MBank, community-focused, client-driven. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Now back to the Sports Pen. Here's Tanner Hoop. and uh, see if Iowa can maybe be a roadmap for getting us back to normalization in high school sports. And for that, we're joined by Ben Seaman. He's the head baseball coach, also the head wrestling coach at Storm Lake High School in Storm Lake, Iowa. Ben, first of all, thanks for being on. Always good talking to you. Hope you're well. How are things back in Iowa? Good. Thanks for having me, Tanner. Um, things are good. Um, you know, obviously not not great, um, not perfect, but, um, you know, we're getting on getting getting along here as best we can well, i tell you what a big day coming up for you you've got opening day here in two weeks and you get to start practice now with uh with baseball and softball getting the green light from the governor's office first of all how what are some of the restrictions that 
have been put down to give our listeners a better idea? What are some of the restrictions put down by the association, the governor's office, and you know, how, how you go about following those? Yeah, basically, you know, we got word from the governor, and then it was kind of like the um, Boys Athletic Association and the Girls Union that kind of got the ball rolling as far as the rules we got to follow. Um, but it's it's basically everything you'd expect, just a lot of, lot of sanitation, um, a lot of hand sanitizer, a lot of, you know, washing things here and there after use, after games, after practices. Um, we're not permitted to use the dugouts during practice. Um, we're allowed to use them during games and also extend the dugout a little bit to, you know, um, either inside the fence or outside of it to make room for, for kids and trying to push so, you know, kids are using their own equipment. Um, so every kid have their own batting helmet if they're able to, and catchers the same thing, you know, same, same helmet for them and, you know, same chest protector and shin pads if you can, just to kind of minimize that spread of, you know, contact and, um, you know, the balls is, you know, the, probably the biggest conversation is touching, touching, uh, the baseballs and, um, basically it's just kind of like. You know, when we take a break at practice, whether it's, uh, you know, get a drink or change drills, that'd be a time where we, you know, hit the hand sanitizer and kind of go from there. So, yeah, we, it, it, they've got a pretty good set of guidance for us. It's, it's just going to be implementing it. That'll be the, the next kind of hurdle to jump over. How about things like handshakes, high fives, anything like that? Do they give any guidelines for that? And then, you know, things like, uh, you're, you know, being in-game, do you have to wear any kind of special equipment? Uh, is anyone required to wear a mask, anything like that? Um, no. So we, we got the green light as far as the mask. We don't need to wear those during the game um, or practice. It's just going to be kind of uh, a bus ride situation where we need to have masks. Um, but we think that we're going to be, you know, social distance enough on the field. Um, we're just going to have to be a little bit more close, you know, but, you know, doing drills and things like that and um, shagging baseballs during BP. The guys won't be able to, you know, stand next to each other and chat and things like that. Um, Post-game handshakes uh, are no longer a thing. We won't do that. Um, and then, you know, we'll try to um, stay away from giving each other high fives, which is going to be really difficult. I think that's a – you know, it's a big part, you know, positive feedback and whether it's a fist bump or a high five or whatever, you know, those things are going to have to be, you know, kind of a thing of the past as well. Do, do you feel like they've touched all the bases that they should for these guidelines? Is there anything else that maybe you're implementing that, you know, you'd like to see on your own squad? Um, I think they did a really good job of really um, helping us out. And, and the communication – from the associations has been really good, in my opinion. Um, you know, I know the ADs have had several meetings um, with the, you know, the executive officers of the association, and and they've also had coaches meetings with them, you know, via Zoom. Um, so, you know, we feel really good about all the things we got to do. Um, it's just going to be the implementing thing that's um, that's going to be probably difficult for some of the guys to get used to. Um, we haven't really needed to add anything else um you know uh the my biggest question going into it was transportation um we're going to play 17 um varsity games um which is about half a little over half of what we would normally played and um the transportation of busing kids i mean we're taking you know 
twenty some kids to a JV varsity doubleheader. Um, but um, we're gonna allow you know the kids to ride with their parents. Um, we're still gonna provide a bus. Um, but you know we think if you know we get ten or so kids that are gonna ride with their parents, then we should be able to go every other seat, kind of zigzag our way through the bus. And um, but those protocols that go with that too. I mean we gotta load. Uh, the bus back to front, and then when we, you know, and then the same thing when we go get ready to leave, um, and everybody's got to sit in the same seat and um, eliminate the snacking of food and stuff. Um, so those are those are some of the more difficult things to think about. I think. Have you had any other conversations with other coaches, maybe in the conference around the state, and maybe bounce some ideas off each other about how to go about navigating this? Yeah, we actually, you know, I was on the phone with, you know, several of them before we got the green light. We were just kind of, you know, trying to piece together what this would look like. And the biggest thing that we discussed is is kind of schedules, just kind of how we would, you know, if we got the green light, how we'd play out the remainder of our schedule. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we were going to make it as easy as possible for everybody else, you know. Not so worried about our conference games, just kind of playing the remaining schedule out. Um, because once you start to move those um, officials, it's difficult and becomes a headache for your athletic directors too to constantly be changing bus departure times and things of things of that nature. So um, we didn't really talk about. I think I think all the coaches had a pretty good idea of kind of what we we're going to be up against as far as the sanitation and things like that. So you know, I think we we're we we're we're pretty much all on the same page of kind of what we we're going to have to do from, from that standpoint. Well, Ben, I know that the case numbers have gone up in your area and our hometown over the last week or so. Is there any kind of worry for you that some team, some coach might say, we, we aren't going to come to Storm Lake to play or we don't want Storm Lake up here? Is that a worry for you at all? Um, it's not a worry for me right now. Um, you know, I think we still, we got two weeks of practice. Um, for things to, you know, a, a lot can happen. We know now that a lot, a lot can happen in two weeks with this virus and things of, things like that. So um, I think we'll, we'll see. You know, it's definitely on my mind. Um, you know, but I think, you know, we're going to do our part to make sure that we're taking all the right steps. And I think if, you know, we reassure the opponents we're going to face that, you know, we're doing that. And um, I think we'll be okay. You know, I think, I think the numbers can be kind of skewed by based off of the industry that we have here with packing plants, and I think you, I think you'd see a general rise in numbers um, if you were targeting a particular part of the state from a testing standpoint. You know, I think they would all probably go up a little bit, um, but you know, that's definitely something we're thinking about, and you know, we're just going to do all that we can and control what we can control, and we hope that it doesn't become an issue. Once again, we're talking with Ben Seaman. He's the head baseball coach at Storm Lake High School in Storm Lake, Iowa. Iowa is going to have a summer baseball and softball season at the high school level and giving us some insight on the guidelines that have been put down, similar to what we had in Michigan here last week. And uh, you mentioned the athletic directors uh, earlier, Ben. And at Storm Lake High School, your father's been the AD there for many years. He was the AD there when I was a student, and he's recently announced his retirement. Jay Anderson will be taking over. Is that 
you know, how has that played out with that kind of dynamic transitioning from one athletic director to another? Because, uh, like you said, scheduling has got to be kind of a nightmare for these guys. And uh, but now you make the transition over to a new athletic director. How's that been going? Uh, it's been good so far. Um, it's been maybe a little bit more, you know, hands off than we would have liked. I think you know, um, you know, I think it'd be a lot different if the coaches were, you know, doing the weight room and open gym types of stuff and, you know, just being around each other, um, you know, able to ask questions and chat. And we all know Jay. Um, we think he's going to do a great job. And, um, you know, it's it's definitely a interesting time for a transition. So I think that him and my dad have been, you know, they've been meeting a lot and um, getting things all sorted out. And I think uh, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. I don't think there's going to be anything that's the way that it used to be from this point forward. And, you know, in some sense, that might be, uh, you know, a fresh start for Jay um, and uh, just kind of a new set of circumstances for him. And, you know, we'll help him out and he'll help us out. And, you know, we'll get through it together. How about from a player standpoint? Do you have everybody going out that you expected to? Or is there maybe some concern from parents saying, I don't want my kid to take the risk? You know, we, we haven't. Um, we haven't had – I haven't had anything yet. Um, you know, we had some conversations about – you know, there was some, some concern, not necessarily people were adamantly saying no but about wearing masks while they play. Um, you know how hot it can get here in Iowa and humidity can make it feel like you're playing above 100-degree temps every single day and adding any more clothing, especially on your face, um, could have been a concern. You know, we were going to do it. Um, if the if the association said we had to do it, um, but that's um, that's been the only real question. Um, I've got a I've got a parent meeting um, as we uh, tonight as we speak, so um, maybe some more questions will come up. But as it sits right now, I, I was sitting in you know the high 30s uh, of the amount of kids that are going to play this year. Um, it could go up a little or down a little, but it's a good number for us, and you know we'll just. We'll keep going. Do you expect to have every level? Like you mentioned JV, varsity, but there's also a freshman program. Are they all going to uh, going to have their season as expected? Yep, we're yep. All three levels are going to go. Um, you know, we've done uh, JV varsity double headers as far as season goes. We're going to continue that. Um, there was some maybe some talk of maybe doing them on separate nights in separate locations, but um, we think that we're going to be able to be able to do it just fine as it is scheduled and we've got a few varsity only games and then the freshmen will continue their their uh double headers that start around noon or um a time in the middle of the afternoon and yeah we're planning on playing whatever we got left on the schedule for, for all three of those levels well ben i think this would be worst case scenario and i i pray it doesn't happen but if there were to be uh, in isolated case, maybe a player does come down or show symptoms of COVID-19. What's the plan then? I mean, does the association have any guidelines for that, or is it pulling the plug? Um, I don't really know, you know, what they would do. Um, they've talked about, you know, quarantining for a couple weeks. Um, and I think if it comes to that, where we're not getting to play for two weeks with only about you know, once we start games, there's only about four weeks of games as it is. So, you know, I could see that maybe that just ending the season, um, you know, as a as a way to, you know, you don't want to infect any other teams that you're going to play um, if you were to have a case on your own team. 
Um, so I could see that just kind of pulling the plug on that particular program. Um, but I think that's going to be kind of something that the state just mentions, you know, kind of as we get there. Um, I don't think they want to, you know, put anything out there that's too concrete um, until they, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen. But I think, you know, they're going to maybe cross that bridge when they get there. I mean, if you got they got three, four, or five players that pop up and they've all ran temps for consecutive days, they might just be like, hey, you guys got to shut it down for, for a week and see where you're at. Um, but I don't know. Um, you know, they put in pretty good procedures for us as far as screening the kids. We got to screen the kids every single day by taking their temperatures or they got to have their temperature taken at home. Um, and then we also have a, a screening set of questions for them if they've been feeling like this, shortness of breath, all the things that you see in the news as, as symptoms for COVID-19. We'll, we'll do that daily. Um, we think we've got a, an app that's going to help kind of speed that process up that kids are going to be able to do it on their phones real quick and and that's going to allow um, us to keep better track of you know the symptoms from whoever um, you know but that's part of what the associations put in place is the temperature taking um, and attendance we need to know if a kid misses consecutive days because they don't feel well so we know you know possibly the where the spread may have started um, and who that kid had been in contact with um, you know, contact tracing, all those things that you hear um, in the news as far as trying to, you know, hold back this virus as much as possible. So, you know, I think I think we're prepared. I think they've I think they've really thought out everything. So, um, you know, I hope it doesn't get to get to that point. But, you know, you, n- you just never know. Well, are there any guidelines as far as where a player can be or who they can interact with off the field? Or is that, you know, kind of up to each coach saying, uh, you have whatever dis- uh, discretions, whatever uh, you can do if you want to be a member of this team. Yeah, I mean, I think it, there isn't any guidelines that have been put down to from the association. It's been a lot of just the common sense aspect of, you know, you got to do um, things that are necessary to slow the spread. So, you know, the washing the hands and staying home as much as you can and trying not to go into areas that are going to have a high amount of people. Um, you know, I've talked to our players a lot about that. You know, we, we want to make sure that they're being smart when they're not with us, you know, for a number of different reasons. We want to keep everybody healthy on our team, and we want to keep all of our teammates' as families healthy, as well as the coaches and the umpires and the bus drivers and everybody in between. So, you know, I think that's just a message that we've tried to work really hard to convey to our guys, and we'll continue to do that, that, you know, when they're not with us, um, then, you know, they should be at home or, you know, some of them are going to have some part-time jobs, you know, just be smart about that, wear masks, um, sanitize, wash their hands as much as they can. So, um, so we can play, you know, and I think, I think they're going to do a good job of that because I think they understand the importance of doing all those things. Um, and I think they really want to play baseball and, you know, you know, that it's a lot of time in the summer, um, whether you're practicing in the morning or you've got a road game at night. I mean, there's not a lot of time for extras, um, except for maybe on the weekends. Um, you're not, we're not seeing a lot of tournaments being played because of the nature of gathering numerous schools together. So a lot of the weekends are going to be free for the players, um, and I just hope that you know they're going to be smart while they're not with us. Well, I know that the governor there in Iowa, Kim Reynolds, has emphasized testing, and she said a few weeks ago anyone who wants to get tested can. Is that part of the guidelines, or is there anything like that, or is it something that 
maybe it's on the parents or the coaching staff to try to encourage or enforce what have you? Yeah, we talked about that. <clears throat> um, you know, possibly having the coaches be screened. Um, we're not. We're, we don't think we're at that point um, yet. Um, but you know, it, things could change in the first couple weeks where maybe they say before we start playing games and start, you know, crossing county lines and traveling to other places, maybe everybody will get screened. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, really, it's just kind of whatever they, whatever they choose to do. You know, we're going to do it. Um, I know I think the last statistic I saw was about like every one of 22 islands um, had been tested and that was early last week so yeah we're doing a lot of testing um, so you know, hopefully we're getting a pretty good grasp on you know who's got it and who doesn't. Lastly Ben I mean how are you feeling about all this I know you got to be excited you're going to have your season and you should have a good year by all accounts from what I've been following are you excited for it? Are you nervous at all? Is there kind of a cautious optimism? How do you feel as a coach? Uh, you know, I, I just, I've just had a lot of questions and, and trying to get things figured out, but you know, as we've had more of these meetings and, you know, the Department of Public Health has talked to the association and then they've talked to us, you know, it's got me feeling pretty good about all the questions that I did have. Um, but obviously, you know, yeah, I'm a little cautious. I want to be careful. I care a lot about um, the kids and their families. And as well as my family, you know, I don't want to, you know, pick this thing up and bring it home, um, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little cautious, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited to get out there because I know the players are really excited. We've got a really good group of guys, and they're, they're ready to play. Um, and, you know, I feel bad. I feel really bad for – spring sports all over the country and other, you know, summer sports and all those activities all across the country that, you know, they didn't get their chance or, you know, those seniors didn't get their final game. You know, we feel bad for them. Um, so we, we really aren't taking this opportunity for granted. We're going to um, do the very best that we can to, you know, kind of be that uh, guinea pig, so to speak, for maybe the rest of the country. So, you know, kids all over the place can get back and start playing again. Ben Seaman, once again, as the head baseball coach at Storm Lake High School in Storm Lake, Iowa, Iowa will have summer baseball and softball, and we're hoping maybe they can be a roadmap to get everyone else back to normalcy. Ben, it's always good talking to you. Thank you again for your time. All the best this year, and shoot, your league may be the only one that's uh, going on in the country for a while, so uh, we'll definitely be tuning in. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tanner. Let's take a time out. When we come back, we'll chat with Lieutenant General Jack Bergman about his sporting career next on ESPN-UP. Lawns and gardens grow better on topsoil than on rocks. Ishpeming Concrete is now open for you to get your planting season started. Get a half yard of topsoil gently loaded into your pickup truck for just 18 bucks. That's a whole lot less than the 25 bags you'd need from the home store. Sweeten up your plantings and fix your lawn from the ravages of winter. Topsoil, the softer side of Ishpeming Concrete. Concrete, 400 Stone Street behind Robbins Flooring, open weekdays 8 till 4.30, locally owned with a total commitment to quality. There's no contact paying with a credit card, and you don't need to leave your vehicle. Now open Saturdays, 7 to noon. Now back to the Sports Pen. Here's Tanner Hoop.
Coast, Congressman Jack Bergman, uh, 1st Congressional District Representative for the state of Michigan. He's kind enough to lend us his time and uh, talk a little sports with us. And, sir, it's an honor, first and foremost, to have you on. How are you dealing with things uh, where you are, you, you know, staying, uh, staying busy? I know you're doing your work in Washington, on the phone with Washington, but away from that, in, in your time as Jack Bergman instead of Congressman or General Bergman, how are you spending the time here during quarantine? Well, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things. Number one, uh, obviously the the constituents of the first district sent me to Washington D.C. to do their business there, and I do not hesitate to make sure that I am in Washington D.C. You know, to do the testifying, to do the voting, to do all the debate because that's where my my duty assignment is. It's like any sports team. You're going to play on a field or court of some sort. You either got a home game or a away game. I make sure. I'm on the appropriate field with the appropriate uniform when it's time to, time to, if you will, uh, play the very serious game of my congressional duties. But, you know, when I haven't been in D.C., I've been largely in the U.P., and uh, it's, a, it's amazing how much fun you can have when you start looking at old games maybe you haven't played in a while. Sir, let's uh, give our listeners an idea of kind of who we're working with and talking to here. Who are some of your favorite teams, maybe some of your favorite players to follow? Well, you know, um, I, uh, I live in the middle of Packer country. and uh, But if people ask me who I root for in the NFC, historically I've rooted for the NFC North because I've lived in every city that has an, uh, an NFC North football team. But the point is I'm in the middle of Packer country and love the Packers because it represents small-town America. You know, in high school, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And in college, I played football and baseball. And I love sports, whether it be to watch them, whether it be to participate. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, what's going to happen this year is the congressional baseball game that I play in annually, which was scheduled for the June, June the 10th time frame. And it's a fundraiser. We raise money for charities. Uh, is going to be postponed until uh, sometime in September. So right now, uh, a year ago, I would have been in the heat of baseball practice getting ready for the big game. Well, and you're still the shortstop for the Republican team at that congressional game. And I know that you were a part of the tragedy at the practice a few years ago where Representative Scalise was shot and uh, thankfully was able to survive and bounce back. How special was it for you all taking the field and seeing Representative Scalise out there and uh, after everything that you all had went through? Well, I'll tell you, number one, God was with us that day, June the 14th of 2017, because had not a couple of things happened, we wouldn't be having this interview today. And Steve Scalise uh, is, he literally is a bull of a man, both physically, psychologically, uh, spiritually, and he has made uh, literally such a comeback from his near-death experience but, you know, uh, we're all here by God's grace, and the beauty of the baseball game that we play, sure, Democrats play against Republicans, but it's for charity. We compete. We love to compete and may the best team win. When we play the football game, because we do a congressional football game every other year, it's, it's the Democrats and Republicans together versus the Capitol Police. So it's the old classic uh, longest yard, the guards versus the inmates. In fact, <laughs> last year we won for the first time. 
Well, you played football, like you mentioned, at the collegiate level, and you were once coached by NFL great and Hall of Famer Otto Graham. Is there anything that you took away from that? Any story about Otto Graham that the rest of us might not know? I, I tell you what, on the field, off the field, in every aspect of his life, Otto Graham was a fine Christian man who loved the game but loved the players even more and he held himself accountable and everybody else accountable and that's why we practiced so hard because he expected us to make mistakes in practice so that when we got off the field and the game was on the line we didn't and I mean I I, I just I was blessed and honored to have him as my coach during my freshman year of college. Did you ever have aspirations of continuing your sporting career, or at what point did you start to decide that politics was the route you wanted to go? Well, you know, I, it's funny because politics really never came into the into the uh, my sight picture until until after retiring from the Marine Corps. I was really uh, sports. I've always loved sports. Uh, play, you know, again, competitively, competitively, college was great. I played sports afterwards, just kind of like in town leagues, local leagues, different things. In fact, we even played hockey in the 80s in Chicago in a house league uh, just for to get exercise. But to me, especially the team sports build, they, they, they build who we are as individuals, but they build in our character what it means to be a teammate. And that's, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll play as long as I can, I can uh, walk or wheel my way to some kind of sport. Well, and I know that you're still, you know, you're the mainstay as far as being the shortstop for the Republican congressional softball team. How about in football? What do you play, and is that what you played in college? Yeah, I played uh, in college. Uh, you know, high school I played both ways, and in college I played defensive back. And in uh, in on the congressional football team, I played like a like an outside linebacker, and it's it's good because it's. Uh, you know, it's right in the middle of the action. You get a little body contact. You get a chance to get the ball thrown in your vicinity every now and again. But it's, uh, uh, again, I love I love to complete and love to, if you, let's face it, in sports, if you knock someone down on the other team and it's a good hit, reach down in your, with your hand and pick them up and help them up, rush them off, and you know, let's, let's go at it the next play. Sir, I want to get you a little bit deeper into that because uh, I want to ask you, who is the most athletic congressman or maybe who's the best athlete that we have in Congress you played with, whether it be in the football or the softball game? Ooh, I, I think the, the best overall athlete, all-around natural athlete that I've had experience not only to play against but also get to know very well is a guy by the name of Cedric Richmond. He's a, a Democrat from uh, New Orleans. He pitched double A ball. Uh, and that's, what, that's why the Republicans have a hard time winning right now with Cedric on the mound. He's hard to hit. But, but he is by far and away, over all around, the best natural athlete of anyone that I've seen in Congress. Do you have any favorite sporting memory, whether that's a game that you've been involved in, a game you went to, or meeting an athlete? Does anything come to mind? Well, you know, uh, Jason Worth, who uh, retired from the uh, Washington Nationals a couple of years ago, uh, Jason always spends time with us in our dugout and having a chance to, uh, to shake his hand and, and talk with him about, he loves to fly. He's got, a, he's got his own little airplane. So we, we talked about baseball for probably a minute, and then we started talking about flying. 
but Steve Garvey, uh, you know, for the, the Dodgers, uh, Steve comes to the, uh, to the game every year, get a chance to interact with him. But it's, uh, uh, you know, it's guys like that who, uh, who really made their name in baseball and did, uh, you know, they just did a spectacular, spectacular career, and they come out just to hang with us. Did you have any kind of moment growing up where you just felt like you fell in love with sports? You know, some people just grow are born into it, and they grow into it later on in life, but did you have just kind of that a honeymoon moment almost where you just fell in love with sports? You know, the, the, the short answer is yes, and when I was, it's when I was in grade school, and, and getting a chance growing up in a small town where you literally, we didn't have organized baseball until, until literally when I was about 11 years old, we had our first little league team. And, uh, but up until that point, it was show up at the field at nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning and whoever shows shows, we'll pick up, pick sides and we'll make up the rules based upon how many, you know, how many people show up, uh, uh, it, it was just being on a field with my buddies that I fell in love with so long ago. Lieutenant General Jack Bergman, the first congressional district of Michigan representative, is kind enough to lend us his time here in ESPN-UP. That was great stuff, sir. And, again, it's an honor to have you on here. Looking forward to talking again, uh, hopefully sometime soon. Sounds good. You know, we are so much better when we uh, when we play games together and, and have that human interaction. So thank you, Tanner. Looking forward to seeing you. Let's take a time out more in a moment here in ESPN-UP. Since before the Mighty Mac was built, Embers has been here for the Upers that have made this community what it is. In these challenging times, we want to say thank you to the selfless men and women that show what it means to be Uper strong. And even as we adapt, we will never stop living it up. You've been here for us, and we are here for you. We are never more than a call, click, or tap away. We're Embers Credit Union. We will get through this together. Now back to the Sports Pen. Here's Tanner Hoop. missed our interviews earlier ben seaman a high school baseball coach in iowa they're about to embark on a on a really ambitious journey to try and be a roadmap to high school sports and uh getting back to normalcy in that realm that uh interview was earlier today and you can go back and listen to it on demand plus lieutenant general jack bergman the up's congressman and a few of the counties downstate as well uh really fun interview with him as we got to talk about his life from a sporting perspective but what I want to do here in our final minutes of the show, and you know, this is all speculation because I hope we do have a baseball season this year. I'm not sure that we will, but here's hoping that we do because owners and players were not able to reach their agreement, their prorated salaries, length of games that are played, what have you. They were not able to reach their agreement by the deadline that was today. So there is optimism that maybe we can get going around July 4th if they can come up with a deal here in their next, I don't know, five, ten days, something like that, then there's still optimism we could have baseball by July 4th. So in lieu of that, let's think about this. I'm going to give you my standings, my predictions for the standings for all six 
division in Major League Baseball this year, again, provided that we have a season. And, of course, I'll tell you why I have teams in that specific spot. Let's start in the American League West where you've got the Houston Astros, I believe, are going to repeat as divisional champions. Now, they didn't do a whole lot this offseason. They got Martin Maldonado, and that was about it. That was maybe the big highlight of this offseason. But they still have enough talent. Yes, I know they're not stealing signs this year. But they still have enough talent on that roster that they should finish ahead of anyone else in that division. You know, and I tell you what, I have speculated on this, or I've thought about it, you know, and this was one of the tougher decisions I had to make. And uh, it's that I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to backtrack on something that I said a few shows ago. And I'm actually going to say that the more I think about it, I'm going to say the Oakland A's finish second in that division ahead of the Angels. I think it's a toss-up, and I really like what the Angels did this offseason. They had one of the best offseasons of anybody in baseball, getting Joe Madden as a manager. Anthony Rendon is on your roster now. Pitching is still a concern for me, and while Oakland didn't do a whole lot this offseason either, they do have a pretty darn good pitching staff, and I think that will end up being what makes the difference for Oakland to edge out the Angels for second place in the AL West. And then Texas, you know, they weren't expected to do much this offseason. They didn't. They won't be a contender again this year. I had them fourth, and then Seattle will finish dead last in that division. In normal terms and under normal circumstances, Scott Service, I would predict, would be fired probably before the trade deadline. But uh, I don't know. With the shortened season, he might get a finish out the year. But either way, I do believe this will be Scott Service's last year managing the Seattle Mariners. How about in the American League Central? I've got the Minnesota Twins repeating as division champions. Now, Minnesota won 101 games last year, and they did so with a pitching staff that was top-heavy. You know, they had an okay pitching staff, but it certainly wasn't championship caliber. Is this year's pitching staff going to be championship caliber? No, but it is going to be loaded with more experience, more seasoned veterans, and guys who've proven that they can do it at the major league level. So in addition to Jose Barrios and Jake Odorizzi, both all-stars last year, Minnesota went out and got Ken Maeda, which is a pretty darn good pickup. They traded a farm player over for him, and Maeda's under contract for three more years, plus Rich Hill and Homer Bailey. Again, all those guys' best days in the league are probably behind them. They're all probably over the hill, but not too far over the hill that they can't be effective. The Twins did lose guys like Jonathan Scope and C.J. Crone, but they pick up Josh Donaldson, and they are going to continue to bludgeon the baseball this year with uh, their offensive ability. They are going to bludgeon teams at the plate. It was a good strategy last year. Minnesota didn't get worse in any sense this offseason, and they will win the American League Central once again. This is a controversial one, who I have finishing second in that division, but I'm going to say the Chicago White Sox edge out the Cleveland Indians for second place in the American League Central. Chicago had maybe the best offseason of anybody in baseball this year. They've got guys on that roster already like Aloy Jimenez, someone who doesn't get talked about nearly enough, and they add pieces like Edwin Encarnacion, Luis Robert looks like he's ready to make the jump to the major league level. They had an outstanding offseason. By the way, you pick up Yasmani Grandal and Nomar Mazara, and that's going to be pretty darn good for an offense. Uh, On the pitching side of things, I really like what they're doing with their rotation. You've got young guys like Lucas Giolito, who made the big step that the White Sox were hoping he would last year, and he's poised to be the ace of the staff. Plus, you bring in a guy like Dallas Keuchel, 
the pitching staff in Chicago is going to be pretty darn good this year. I don't think they're good enough yet to make up the ground to catch Minnesota because keep in mind the Twins finished almost 40 games ahead of Chicago last year. But I do think that they have made enough of a jump with a, an incredible offseason. They know exactly what they're doing. And Cleveland isn't sure where they are right now. Their championship window is passed. They are at the point where they're a competitive team, but the future of Francisco Lindor is still up in the air. It's kind of like the Chris Bryant situation with Chicago, uh, as in the Cubs, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But it, Cleveland showed how vulnerable they are, especially when Jose Ramirez was not performing at the plate. They showed how vulnerable they are as a team last year. I just They didn't do enough this offseason. They didn't get better to stave off the White Sox, in my opinion. And then for the four and five spots in the Central, I'm going to give the Tigers the edge over the Royals because the Tigers at least have an idea of what they're trying to do. The Tigers have an idea of how they're trying to rebuild. The Royals have no idea. Dayton Moore and those guys got their championship five years ago. They're going to be content for another three decades. They have no idea what the future looks like for them. Are they going to keep Whit Merrifield? They don't have really anybody in the farm system that's ready to make the jump. Detroit does, and, you know, we might see Casey Mize make his MLB debut this year, and the, the, the pitching arms in that Tiger farm system that might see some action this year at the major league level, especially if it's a loss season. So I think Detroit knows what they're doing as far as a rebuild. It's going to be, oh, it's as you know, rebuilding, it's a long, tough road, but Detroit has a good plan in place and an idea of who they want to be. How about out east? You have the New York Yankees who signed Garrett Cole, who looked like the most dominant pitcher in, well, certainly in the playoffs and maybe of the season last year. They signed Garrett Cole. They spend a lot of money, as the Yankees always do. No one's going to touch that team. They won 103 games last year. Now they've picked up maybe the most dominant high-pressure pitcher in the game last year. So the Yankees aren't going anywhere from the top of the ALE standings. Below them, though, it gets a little bit interesting and there's more debate to be had Tampa Bay didn't do a whole heck of a lot this offseason they did lose Tommy Pham but man they have a good enough roster as it is and they do so without spending a bunch of money now they're probably not gonna you know, I, I, I keep thinking in terms of uh, 162 game season that's not going to happen one way or another, but in under normal circumstances, this will be a raised team that I think will win at least 90 games. I don't know what uh, what number to expect this year because who knows how long the season's going to be, but they're a team that should contend for a playoff spot, if not for a wild card spot, and I, I, don't, I just don't think they're going to finish close to the Yankees, but I do have them finishing ahead of Boston, who just had a terrible offseason. They did. They trade away David Price and Mookie Betts, just an absolute flub of a deal, and didn't get better anywhere. They don't have much to speak of in the farm system as a whole coming up. And I almost wanted to say Toronto could challenge them for the three spot in the AL East because they've got a lot of young, exciting players. They added some really darn good pitching this uh, this offseason. Hinjin Ryu, one of the guys that went up there to Toronto. That being said, I, I just don't know that they did enough this offseason. I don't think pitching alone, and that's what they addressed this offseason because largely they've got a lot of the uh, pieces in place offensively to be successful. I don't know that they did enough, though, to make up a 17-game gap because that's what they finished behind Boston last year. I I don't know that one offseason does that, but then again, Mookie Betts and David Price were that impactful, and maybe, maybe Toronto can end up challenging Boston 
for the three spot. And then Baltimore, you know, they didn't do anything. We're not expecting them to do anything. They will bring up the rear in the American League East. Once again, I'm giving you my predictions division by division for the Major League Baseball season, should we have it. Let's go to the National League where the Dodgers and the Rich just get richer. They 100-plus games last year. They add Mookie Betts and David Price. Nobody's touching them. The Dodgers are going to repeat as NL West champions. This was difficult for me, though, and this, I, I, you know, this is another one that I could flip and that I have flipped when I've had these conversations in my head uh, doing some show prep. I flipped these around for second and third in the NL West, but I think Arizona is going to slightly edge out the Padres for the two spot in that division. Arizona had a pretty darn good offseason themselves. They had a guy like Madison Bumgarner. They bring in Sterling Marte in that outfield. They did have a really good offseason. I get it that the Padres are the young, exciting team, the sexy team, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, and those guys. And I do think they'll be a contender. I think they'll be a team that will contend for a playoff spot. It's going to have to be as a wild card. But I, I don't think that the Padres are going to translate immediately as smoothly as they think they will, or at least they hope they will. So I think Arizona does hold off the Padres for the number two spot in the NL West, followed by Colorado. They didn't do a whole lot this offseason. They're not going to do much this regular season either, and a lot of that, again, depends on their pitching. Kyle Freeland had a terrible year last year after finishing fourth in the Cy Young voting a couple of seasons ago, and then San Francisco just they're young. They know it's a rebuilding year. They're going to get Joey Bart, their star catcher. They drafted number two overall a few years ago. They're going to get him up to the majors and make his major league debut. But it's a rebuilding year. And a first-year manager, I'm not expecting San Fernando to move out of the cellar in that division. Let's go to the Central. And this is really tough because there are four teams in this division that could win it, that I really could see win it. And only one of them seems real bent on getting better. So I'm reluctant in my standings here. And, you know, and this may change uh, the more I think about it. I But right now, if I had to say, if I had to bet, if I had to put money on it, I would give the edge to the St. Louis Cardinals because, again, they didn't do a whole lot this offseason. I, I don't think they got any worse than a team that was good enough to win that division last year. So tentatively, I'll say St. Louis does repeat as NL Central champions. Now, this is one that, might be a little out there, but look out for the Cincinnati Reds. The big red machine I have as the number two team in that division. They have a clear idea of who they want to be. Now, their pitching is not great. It's it's fine, but it's not great. Their hitting is what does it for me. They have a clear idea of what they want to be and kind of go the route of the Minnesota Twins. An okay pitching staff, probably not as good as Minnesota's pitching staff, but they're going to bludgeon teams. They're going to bludgeon you at the plate and Twins and Reds would be scheduled to play this year if the season does take off as planned, then that could be pretty darn fun. We could see, I don't know, 10 to 8 being the final score or something like that. But the Reds have a clear idea of who they want to be. They had an outstanding offseason. They pick up guys like Nick Castellanos, Mike Moustakis, and they got a really good outfielder from the Japanese league, Shogo Akiyama that uh, he can tear the cover off the ball. So I think there's a lot of optimism in Cincinnati, although I do have them ahead of the Cubs and the Brewers. But I, it, weirdly enough, I think it's more likely that one of those two teams wins the division instead of the Reds. So while I wouldn't be surprised if four different teams won the NL Central, the Reds would be the most surprising to me. But I still have them ahead of the Cubs and the Brewers because they're kind of wild cards this year. Uh, it, it, they didn't. 
Milwaukee seemed to get a whole lot better this offseason. You know, Milwaukee, they did lose uh, Ismani Grandal, and they lose Mike Moustakis, and I get it. You know, they bring in guys like Omar Nervais, and they fill a couple of needs, fill a couple of roles that they needed to address. But their pitching was their real problem. The pitching was what they really needed to address, and they didn't. You know, they who they pick up, uh, pitching-wise, Eric Lauer, uh, reliever David Phelps, they didn't do enough to address their biggest weakness, and ultimately pitching was the reason why the Brewers did not have more success. That lineup they featured offensively last year should have had a lot more success, if not for the pitching. And they didn't do enough to address their pitching situation this year. And I'll give them the edge over the Cubs, and I'll say that Chicago is just I don't know what they want to be going forward. They're sticking a first-year manager in David Ross into a situation where your star player might be shipped out. We're kind of going with the will-they-won't-they mentality on the whole Chris Bryant thing. The Cubs, I don't know if they have a clear identity. Are they going to be all-in on contending again, try to get another championship, or is this more of a rebuilding route? I don't think they know. I think they're looking ahead to the first couple of weeks of the season and testing the water, seeing how things play out. And then Pittsburgh, if we played a regular uh, 162-game season, they would lose probably more than anybody. They would finish with about 100-something losses. Uh, they're just not going to do much. I don't think they expected that. Derek Shelton's in his first year as their manager. I didn't think the expectations were high for Pittsburgh, and I don't think that they are now. Let's move to the National League East here before we run out of time where this was a tricky one. There's another situation where there are four different teams that legit could make a divisional championship run. But I'm going to give the edge to the Atlanta Braves to repeat because they've got all the pieces in place. I don't think they got any worse from last year. Maybe they didn't have a significant offseason. I mean, they did pick up Cole Hamels and Marcelo Zuna. And those are some good pieces. It, I, You know, they didn't get worse this offseason, and they did get a little bit better. So I'm going to say Atlanta, already winning the division last year, is going to repeat. Notice that I don't think there's going to be any new divisional champion this year. I think all the teams that won their division last year are going to do so again. I'm going to say the Mets take second in the National League East because of their pitching staff and the guys that they're able to bring in. And good pitching is just dominant. It really is. And I, I think that's going to be the reason, coupled with uh, Pete Alonzo and uh, Jeff McNeil, uh, that the Jeff McNeil emergence, I guess is what we want to say. They're good enough on both sides, pitching and hitting, and even defensively in the field, that I think they will have a legit claim to contending for a wild card spot i'm going to say philadelphia figures things out just a little bit better and they edge out washington the defending world champions i'm predicting will finish fourth in their division they didn't get better this offseason i mean they lose anthony rendon who was such a big part of their championship run uh you know i get it that you know that's more than one guy and you know juan soto was the most important piece on that team he's still going to be there but you lose Gio gonzalez and they snuck in to the playoffs last year and their pitching was solid enough that you could win with good pitching in the playoffs that's what they did they didn't get better they got significantly worse this offseason so they're gonna go through a championship hangover year and then Miami I just I don't think anyone's expecting a lot from Miami this year they might be better they'll start to get a little bit better I think Brian Anderson is a guy who's got breakout potential could end up being somebody that Marlins fans really like down there but I don't see them in a position to really emerge from the cellar of the National League East. 
Those are my predictions for the upcoming Major League Baseball season, provided we have it. Let's hope we do. And with that, let's call it a day. As always, I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope that you join me. Until then, from all of us here at ESPN-UP, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening to Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.